last couple weeks. I had surgery about three weeks ago, you know. I had a couple setbacks along the way, and everybody was asking me what they could do for me, you know. But the best thing that you could do for me and that you did do for me is prayer. Prayer, 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 prayer. Because, you know, we know that that's the foundation and his mercies are fresh and new every day. So every setback I had, I would get up, you know, and I knew my name was going up to the throne of grace where I could obtain mercy and, and healing and deliverance, you know. And I needed strength in my body, you know. And I knew that every little thing, you know, that the enemy was putting on me, you know, but I know that I serve a big God. It's just like Jeremy said, his word will not return void. It will not. So when your prayers are going up, it's like a sweet-smelling incense. That's what his word says, you know. And I could just feel his strength and his mercy just flowing into my body. Yes, I'm still healing. I am still healing. But my God, I, I, just, I just can't thank him enough, you know, because... Everything that you go through, everything that you walk through, he's there because he resides in me, you know? And when you're going through something, sometimes God puts you in a place to encourage somebody else, you know? Because I'm talking to my doctor and his wife had hip surgery. Well, she wasn't doing very good because after nine weeks, you know, he said she wasn't feeling very good because they said something about a um, stress fracture and that. You know, and so I thought, well, God, that's just our opportunity to pray for her and be a witness for her. So it doesn't matter where you are or what you're going through. You know, you can bear fruit because that's what his word says. He sends us out into this world to bear fruit because we are his, his voice and his witness. And it don't matter what you're going through because you bring hope. You bring hope. You bring life. You, you know, and you say, well, that's nothing for for my God, my God can, you know, he can heal that. So I just want to thank each and every one of you. You know, it was very, it's very, very important to be covered in prayer and by the blood of Jesus. You know, when I took that communion today, when you take that cup, his voice has a better word. And when I took that today, I could just see that going down into every cell of my body. Because that's what his word says, you know, and that's where the healing takes place. So I just want to keep on encouraging you all. I want to thank you all because I serve a great God and he is worthy to be praised. Oh, and another thing, another thing today is Jeremy was singing all those dancing songs. And you all know how much I love to dance. Well, now, for about five years here, <laughs> that hasn't happened. But God let me see in the spirit that it's coming. And that day that I get my release, I'm going to be dancing all over this place. Amen. 
I told somebody at prayer Friday that uh, I've learned how to do a lot of things I didn't know how to do over the last three weeks. I never really, you know, when you, when you have somebody that does a lot for you, sometimes you don't notice what they do for you. But since I had to do it myself, I noticed it. Amen? Amen. So thank you for taking such good care of me. It only took me till I was 70 to figure out how much, how good you were to me. Amen. So some of you guys need to catch up, okay? Matter of fact, you can thank your wife right now. Okay, um, our text is John 3.16. If you want to turn there, for the last four weeks, uh, we've been talking about what the cross did, what Jesus did for us, and we're going to complete that today. It's in the New Living Translation, Rebecca, and uh, John 3:16 and 17. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, we've been speaking about why he came. What did he accomplish? Oh, Chris, hi, Chris. Chris is back. Anyhow, uh, she's back from Germany. She's been gone for six weeks. We love you, Chris. Um, why did he come? What is the bottom line? Why did he come to this earth? Well, first off, he was the bridge between fallen man and holy God. And sin caused us to forfeit our access. Sin separates us from God. Now, you say, I thought nothing could separate us from the love of God. Nothing could separate us from the love of God, but sin can separate us from the wisdom and knowledge of God because we start desiring our own way instead of His. So we're never separated from His love. That's what John 3.16 says. But we are separated by our sins sometimes. That's why in 1 John it says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Every night before I go to bed, I get down beside my bed and I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sin. We have to do that. That's like a checkup every night. And so God covers that. But what prompted me was when we were in Mexico, I was reading a book about uh, about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, for those of you that haven't been here. And he made a trip in the uh, 20s and 30s to New York City. And he said they preach about everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. He noticed this, and that was almost 100 years ago. And in the churches today, everything's been pretty well gone over. And I think we try to complicate it sometimes, and we don't really discern why he came. The bottom line is he came to rescue fallen men and women and to make us children of God. That's why he came. Because we were estranged by our sin from our father. The next motivating factor is, he said, they don't preach Jesus Christ or the cross. We need a discernment of the cross of Christ. Thank God for the cross today. Thank God that he was willing to go and bear my sin and cover it under his blood. He said they don't speak about sin and forgiveness. 
and they don't speak about death and life. When we celebrated the Lord's Supper today, we're speaking about death and life and sin and forgiveness. He has forgiven our sins, and we accept his sacrifice. So I got to thinking about why did he come? Well, John 3.16 tells us, for he so loved the world. Every one of us, he so loved. And we've covered this four weeks in a row now, but I want you to know today that he came because he loved you and he loved the world. You say, well, the world is full of sin. Well, I'm telling you, when he, what is our blessed hope that he's coming back? And when he comes back, guess what? He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years and the earth's going to be restored. How many of you want to be a part of that? I want to be in on the good stuff. Some of us say, well, I've been on bad stuff. Well, a day's coming where we're going to be in on the good stuff too because he's going to set us free from any restrictions on the earth because sin cannot stand in his presence. And then after that is an added treat. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down and we're going to get to live for eternity there with him. That's why he came because he loved us. And not only us, but he loved everybody else that's in the world. They just need to accept him. That he gave his one and only son. That everyone who believes in him will not perish. Say, I'm not perishing, I'm alive. We pass from death to life. We pass from death to life. Say that, I pass from death to life. I'm alive in him. Hallelujah. That's why he came. Everyone who believes. This is something we can all agree on. When we get into doctrines and things, we have disagreements, but nothing can make us disagree about why he came. He came because he loved the world and he loves us. That's real simple. And everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He came to spread the good news. That's why he came. Romans uh, 1.15 says, Paul speaking says, I'm eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Romans 1.15. He said, I'm eager to preach to you the good news. You know, a lot of people in the world look at Jesus and church and a way of living as a threat. But they don't see the love behind it. The people that see the love behind it is those that have had their sin blotted out, that had their sin erased, and we appreciate what God has done for us. Paul said, I can't wait to tell you about the good news. How many of you tell your family and things about the good news of Jesus Christ? Your testimony proves that he's done something for you. When I, when I see people like Tim and, and myself and and God is working in our lives. No matter how long we've been at this, he wants to work in our lives. And he wants to continually prove his love toward me and you. He doesn't quit loving. Romans says this. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this good news. You ever notice when you try to witness how the enemy shows up? 
Why do we feel creepy like that? Can anybody explain that to me? Because he's the God of this world for now. And every time we enter into sharing the gospel or preaching the gospel, he shows up and tells us we're not worthy to do it. Well, guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ says, I am worthy to do it today. No matter how, because the word says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That means me, you, everybody in here, everybody down the road, everybody up the road. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the power of God says, I can testify to his goodness in my life. I've got a testimony of what he's done for me. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of what he's done for me. Hallelujah. Look at what it says here. It is the power of God at work. What is our response? Our response is to say, I received the power of God. It worked in me. It can work in you. He said, I'm not, it's the power of God at work saving those who believe, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right. God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by our faith. I want to speak a little bit about power today. You know, the greatest power that has ever been known to man, two things. Number one is the power that Jesus gave us when he overcame our sin. We've reduced power sometimes to a reaction to the preaching or the reaction to the worship. It goes much deeper than that. Reaction is an outward manifestation. We're testifying to what God has done. But the deep thing is to know that he gave us power to overcome sin. I have power in my life to overcome sin where I didn't before. And then the second greatest power on an equal is when he came up on the day of resurrection and he left that grave and God exploded that power and that stone was rolled away. And when that stone rolled away, our sins went with it. That's a lot of power there. I like power and I don't mean it in the wrong way. Preaching the gospel is a powerful thing. Just think about it. You've been entrusted with the preaching of the gospel. Not just me, but you also. God has entrusted you with power. It's not about whether we do this or whether we do that. It's about a recognition of who he is and what he does in our lives. Hallelujah. He said, in the last days, many false prophets will arise. They'll say, don't go over here, go over there. He said, don't go anywhere. Go back to what you know, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that got you here in the first place. That's what the power really is. Hallelujah. <laughs> power. Look what he says here. Then go to 1 Corinthians chapter, yeah, it's chapter 1. And verse, hallelujah, verse 13, he was writing to the Corinthian church about divisions in the church and divisions among God's people. 
and they were all saying, well, one of them, we follow the teaching of Apollos, and another one says this, and another one saw that. But see, Paul had a great discerning of what the gospel is really about. It wasn't about us. It's about what he's done. That's why he came. And, and in verse 13, he says, as Christ divided into factions, was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were, were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize anyone except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Think about that a minute. We're not baptized in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ. That's our stamp. That's our proof. That's an outward manifestation of an inward work. So that's why we need to be careful with baptism. And he said in verse 16, he said, oh, yes, I've also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. But look what he says in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach what? The good news. We get in trouble in the kingdom when we try to take someone else's place or not stay in our lane. Paul said, I could have baptized a bunch of people. I could have had a following myself. But I didn't need to do that because Paul wanted to point to him as the Savior. He said, forget about Apollos, forget about me, forget about Peter, and look to him. That's what we need to look to. I love what he says here. And I didn't do it with clever speech. I think we live in a day where everybody tries to one-up each other. That's why God's got me on this thing about the simplicity of the gospel right now. I don't need to do, outdo somebody else. Everything's been preached. I'm just a messenger, and I'm just someone that reminds people of what you've already know that was passed on to you, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it says we can't win people by using clever words. But it says, if you're trying to out-clever one another, you know what? We are so gospelized and evangelized in the United States. You can turn on Christian TV, and you can listen, and you can listen, and they can ask you for this and ask you for that. But the bottom line is, why did he come? Why did he come? He said, I didn't use clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. How many of you know somebody that's always got to be the smartest guy in the room? Anybody? Smartest guy in the room. It's just his personality. But look what the Lord says here. He says, "Where did, uh, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. Well, guess what? There's a lot of mysteries associated with the cross, but all I need to do is accept it, and I'm not headed for destruction. I'm headed for eternal life. But we who are being saved know it is the very what power of God. What is our response to the cross? What is our response to our sin being blotted out? To realize that we have received power just like the disciples did on the day of Pentecost. It said, as the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. You know, I don't know about you and your neighborhood, but uh, I had the TV on and everybody's going on about Halloween and this and that and everything else. I mean, you know, but the people that were going on about it 
are the wrong people. The common people could care less about that stuff. But I saw this about, well, this one had this costume, and we're trying to keep up with it. There's no power in that stuff anymore. If you're born again, you know that we have power over the things of this world. So we don't get involved in them. I don't take my messages from the lost. So verse 20 says, so where does this leave the philosophers and scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who always ask for a sign. You know, I love signs and wonders, and these signs shall follow them that believe, but you got to believe first, and you got to know what you believe. The, the Jews, the Pharisees said, well, show us a sign. He said, I'm not going to show you anything else. And sometimes if we get hung up on signs sometimes, then we tend to run hot and cold according to our emotions. You know, the greatest power was the power to overcome sin. We need to realize that. I have power to overcome sin in my life. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for a sign, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. This is the world we live in today, too. Everybody wants a sign. Everybody wants human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say, this is all nonsense. But, verse 24 said, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is what? He is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if you want power, if you want to be current, if you want to be up on things, then you realize that all power and wisdom comes from Him. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And He gave that to us. Let's read on a little bit. Verse 25, well, it says, This foolish plan of God's is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Luke 4. Go to Luke chapter 4. A scripture that you're very familiar with, but it's one of my favorite scriptures. Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee. Jesus returned to Galilee. And what's it say? He was what? Filled with what? Where did the power come from? He was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. We live in a very secular society where I can see the day coming if we're not careful where we're going to have one world church. Everything just kind of Working into that way, you might as well get prepared for it. And the only one that's going to be able to overcome that 
is the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony, and love not your life even unto death. It's heading that way. But Jesus returned filled with the Holy Ghost, and he taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, I, in my preaching over the years, you know, you can try to out-clever people and out-promote people and out-program people, but the bottom line is men need to get saved one at a time. They need a knowledge of Jesus Christ to be revealed in them, and if I can help bring that about, then I'm doing what God told me to do. There's power in that. Have you ever led someone to the Lord? You talk about power, and it's not the wrong kind of power. It's that he gave us power to become the sons and daughters of God. I can call on his promises. Whew. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scripture. We can do everything right in church, but we can miss it if we don't realize the power of the cross. I want to tell you this. Some people give up on church. They give up on things. But you got to hang in there because sin is persistent. And what we do sometimes is we detach ourselves from the gospel of hope, and we get to looking at signs and wisdom, and we try to figure things out. But the bottom line is, is there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power to break every chain. You can come to church and you can read the scripture, and I can too, but if there's a flaw in my life, his love wants to heal that flaw. It says the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. I love this. I've shared it. I could share this every week and preach off a different point. It says he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. I'm going to show you what's going to take place here. In a minute, he's going to state his lordship. We can preach a lot of things, and we can say a lot of things, but the bottom line is, why did he come? And he's going to tell you right here. First, he gets up in church, and he proclaims his lordship. If we worship anything except his lordship, then we've missed the point. We can't be impressed with the social gospel. We can't be impressed with anything other than Jesus Christ is Lord. And he came and he died for us. And because he died for us, he said, I want you to tarry. Sometimes we got to tarry in churches and tarry in Bible study because we give up too easy sometimes. And that power that's available to us never gets exhibited. My wife was ill for three weeks. Well, she's been fighting things for years now. And finally, we decided to take care of it. She felt like the Holy Spirit was telling her the right time. Amen. A couple of days, I would just sit there in a chair and look at her and wonder why I couldn't lay hands on her and she'd get better. God knows we prayed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God knows we prayed. I prayed for her. I hated to see her suffering. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Your heart just goes off, and then, yeah, Roy, I know you know. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray. And if you're not careful, you'll start doubting the promises of God. And the enemy wants you to give up on God's promises. 
I wish I could have laid hands on her and healed her, but God didn't see fit to do it that way. But you know what he spoke to me one day? He said, that's not the greatest power you can have. I know everyone in this room wishes they could go to the hospital and lay hands on people and they'd get, that's one of the promises of God. And I'm not giving up on that no matter how many times that we got to pray. I'm not going to give up on it because I believe that the first church is the last church and the last church is the first church. And I believe that the day's coming where signs and wonders will follow those that do believe. And I'm not going to give up on it. I've been disappointed in my life. You've been disappointed in your life. But the bottom line is he's still God and he's still on the throne. And above him, there is no other. And that's why we hang on to the promises of God. Hallelujah. It's coming. I said, it's coming. The day's coming. Don't give up. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. God's going to unleash his mighty power. And we're going to be endued with power. You say, well, we're already baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, there's a whole lot more that I'm waiting to see, and I'm looking forward to it. And I want to be one of the ones that hung in there till the end and said, this is our God. This is what he promised us. Here he comes. He's coming in the clouds, and he's coming with great glory. And every eye shall see him. And those that pierced him will look upon him. <laughs> That's what he meant when he said the Jews are always looking for a sign. He said, I've given you plenty of signs. What I want you to do is break it down to what I really came for, and that's the power over sin. We got to start there, and we got to hang on and realize the gift that He's given us because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's coming. And I figured out the other day, I've been preaching since 1981. And I've used all the clever ways of doing things. I see people on TV, they're clever, but they don't break it down to what God really did. The gospel is simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, that through him everybody would be saved. Now that's power. That's power. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Verse 18. This is why he came. He said, the Spirit of the Lord's on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. How many of you got the Spirit of the Lord on you today? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come with me, Jeremy. We're going to take a little walk. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. We're messengers of that Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, he said, is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on you. The Spirit of the Lord is on Bill and Sue. They've hung in there. To the end, they've hung in. 
and God's going to bless their lives in ways that they never even realized was going to. The Spirit of the Lord has been on this family, faithful and true through everything that's happened in their life. The Spirit of the Lord is on you guys that has sustained you into your eldership. The Spirit of the Lord is on you. The Spirit of the Lord's on Plumber. The Spirit of the Lord's on Olivia. I love this kid. You take the other side. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord's on you. No. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord's on him. You say, what do you mean? Well, this is transferable. That's why it says to lay hands on one another. The Spirit of the Lord's on us. Sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. upset them. They were in church just like always. They were in church just like always. But that day, they met up with the answer. They met up with the one that was prophesied that he would come and they would have life and have it more abundantly. He showed up at church and someday if you hang in there, God's going to show up in your life. And you say, you're presuming a lot that the Spirit of God's on you. Well, I'll tell you what. The Bible says he'll not withhold any good thing from me, and I want the Spirit of God on me. So I've got it. I grew up in a faith that said you can't know whether you're saved or not, that that's up to God. Well, listen. I know it's up to God, but I have to accept the fact that I have been saved by the blood of the Lamb and washed in the blood of Calvary. I just love this scene. It said he read from the scroll of Isaiah. They handed it to him. He said he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring what? Good news. What's the gospel? It's good news. The gospel's not a threat. The blood of Jesus is not a threat. It separates us from our sin. It covers our sin when we confess it. He's anointed me. He's anointed you to bring good news to the poor. Hallelujah. Jan was being very honest. She's been on eight missions trips now. A great part of her life, she wasn't able to do that. But now God is making it possible for her to do that. What's the connection? So she can go over there and be noticed, 
The connection is that she realizes what God's done for her, and he's put her in a position where she can prosper now in her latter years, and she will attest to the power of God, not to the power of Jan, not to the power of Matt or Becky, but the power of the life-cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. I know something about language barriers. But I found the gospel works whether there's a language barrier or not. She's not going to be able to talk to everybody over there. But she's motivated because God so loved the world. God loves those young ladies. Somebody needs to tell them. Sometimes you say, well, aren't there people there that will tell them? Yeah, but sometimes just a little different take on it. Look what else he said. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. (laughs) And that the blind will see. And that has a twofold meaning. Not only that the scales would fall off like they did with Paul, but also the spiritually blind would see also. God gives us power to see things. Remember David? He was the runt of the litter. Some of you are the runt of the litter. Some of you were the one that was ostracized from your family. Jesse had all these good-looking fellows, and he paraded them before the prophet, and the prophet said, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. He said, is there anybody else? See, David had a heart of God. And he brought him and he said, well, this is the one right here. And then it tells us that we're not to look on the outward appearances. We're to look on things as they. And what else does it say? That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll in verse 20 and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Church was ruined. (laughs) There went everything right out the window. You know why the world hates our Savior? Because he makes the statement that I am Lord over all. He was stating his lordship. And the most important thing we can take out of here today is recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you recognized that in your life today? See, religion gets upset. Religion gets real upset when you tell it there's only one way. You know, for over a thousand years, power went out of the church 
In the dark ages, in medieval times, power went out because the Holy Spirit was legislated out of things. And it was marginalized. And we try to institutionalize things and make a God that we can handle. But I serve an unmanageable God, a God that will come to church and upset the services and things won't go like we want them to go. That's the kind of God we serve because it's a prelude to the power that's going to be unleashed in our lives. I want that kind of power. He rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Wow. In other words, case closed. I am who I say I am, and I'll do what I say I was going to do. And I'll agree with Isaiah because he prophesied my coming, and he told you everything about me, and here I am, and I'm king, and I'm Lord. And he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. You know why we walked around this room? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is in this place, and the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you. It's upon you. We have that power through that authority because you received the good news of Jesus Christ. Everyone spoke well of him. <laughs> Verse 22, and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? And then he said, you will undoubtedly quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles, do miracles. But then he gets into Elijah and Naaman and said, God had a specific purpose in those healings and the thing that he did. I want you to realize today, and I want me to realize today, the greatest power is the power to deal with sin. And that's what he took.